Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Four-week series on one verse. I don't think I've ever done this before, but it is a special verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Aren't you glad that God knows you individually? I mean, I, I think I, I'm in the Bible every day. I've spoken thousands of times, but I think I'm still blown away by the fact that God knows me. He knows the number of hairs on my head, knows what's inside my head. He, he's into my life, and that's amazing to me. The fact that he could be that way for all the billions of people on the planet. God said, I know the plans I have. He didn't mean this collectively. He means it individually for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for, watch this next word, disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The one thing I have to do to be academically honest with you today is to say that this verse is not for everybody. I've watched a lot of Christians say this verse and yet I can tell by what's going on in their lives that I'm, I mean, it's up to God. I, I'm not anyone's judge. I can just wonder if really they're able to claim this verse. I, I'm the most affirming person in the world. And I would just love to say for all the billions of people on the planet, God has wonderful plans for you, plans not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. But I owe it to you to let you know that this is for a particular group of people. I ask you to watch the word disaster there. Did you know that disaster is one of the most frequent words used in the book of Jeremiah? I counted 27 times. Could be there more. I just know for sure it's there 27 times, especially in our translation, New Living Translation. And in almost every situation, except for one, it is God saying people are going into disaster. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, you can see why these people were going into disaster. They were living lives that were synced up with the world around them. They, they claimed God. They spoke about God. They, they went to so-called worship God, and yet their lives were 180 degrees opposed from God. And so that was the group of people God was saying, disaster, disaster, disaster. So I'm not trying to be negative today. I just want to make sure that all of us understand that this verse is for a select group of people and not select by God necessarily. It's select by our personal choice. We live in a world today, and especially in American Christianity, we live in a world today where there's this idea that salvation is by grace, which it is totally by grace, but there's the idea that sin doesn't matter. But you see, sin being okay and grace, they, those, two th those two teachings, they don't go together because grace is forgiveness for people who feel and know that they are sinners and want to turn from that sin and turn to God. So yes, indeed, I, I'm a preacher of grace. We're saved not by works of righteousness, not by anything that we do, but by the grace of God. But see, the only reason, the only reason that grace makes sense is that we are sinners in need of a savior. And I can't say, well, I feel like sin is okay and I'm just gonna get some hell insurance, which is what a lot of people are looking at today. And so I just want us to be aware of this. And I've taught this before in our series on prophecy and clash of dynasties. We are watching two dynasties forming very rapidly in our world today. There is the dynasty of God and what God is about. And there is the dynasty of antichrist. And what I'm watching is a lot of Christians who are synced up with the dynasty of antichrist and yet at the same time they want to claim jeremiah 29 11. so who is jeremiah 29 11 for it is for people who will trust god 
and believe God when God seems to make no sense. There's one message throughout the scriptures, and that is that those people who fully trust God are in the minority. Jesus said, there's a broad road that leads to destruction, or many are going on it. And there's a narrow road which leads to life, and few are going on it. And it's not because God wishes it that way. It's because of the choices of individuals. So I just want to make us all aware of the fact today that we need to all look, do some soul searching to look in our hearts and lives to see if Jeremiah 29, 11 applies to us. And by the way, I'm not saying that we need to be perfect. No, I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. It's just that I know I'm a sinner and I grieve over my sin and I trust the grace of God to forgive me and to cleanse me and make me clean. And consequently, I trust God and I trust his word and I trust his promises. And when that happens, even though I'm a flawed, broken person with many, many sins, I can say I'm I believe Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans for me, not for disaster, but to give me a future and a hope. Now the word know there, and I talked about this in week one, know means to know by seeing. So God says, you can't see the plans that I have, but God says, I see them before they happen. And then plans means engineering. It's, it's important for us to understand that we always have a hard time interpreting our future because we're going on what we can see. And a lot of times, things that we can see, it doesn't look like these are plans for good. It looks like they're plans for disaster. But our God is so wonderful that he can take all the broken pieces and all the bad choices that people make in our lives, and he can weave those together and make a tapestry of grace. Because our God is an engineer. I mean, he's like, like with Joseph in the Old Testament. He could take all those situations where his brother sold him as a slave, where he was lied on and accused of a crime he didn't commit, when he was languishing in prison and forgotten. God could take all those things and weave them together and make Joseph the most powerful man in the world in one morning. That is how our God works. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, in the 17th verse, the scriptures say, no weapon turned against you shall prosper or succeed. Now, I love that part of the verse. And I think about it often. By the way, it doesn't say that no weapon will be formed against you. I think there are Christians who feel that way. Well, if I'm God's child, then I'm never going to have anybody not like me. I'm never going to have a problem. No, no. It, it says no weapon that's formed against you will succeed. I love that. But it's the second part of the verse that I love the most. It says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. In other words, and this is, if you don't get anything else out of the message this morning, please get this. The same God who did all that dramatic stuff in the past is your God. Because see, this is the heritage. This is something that's passed on from generation to generation. I mean, the, think about this. I mean, we read those stories in the Bible and they're so awesome, but never forget that the same God who took Joseph out of the prison and took him to the palace in one morning is your God. Never forget that the God who opened the Red Sea for the Israelites when Pharaoh and his army were chasing them is your God, the same God who made David a giant killing hero and future king after his brother shamed him and told him to go home. The same God when evil Viceroy Haman built a gallows to hang noble Mordecai, God hung Haman on his own gallows and gave Mordecai his job. The same God who met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire meant to fry them and he brought them out without even the smell of smoke on them. The same God who closed the mouths of Daniel's lions. The same God who took a woman who'd been married five times and was sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband and made her a missionary. The same God who sent an earthquake and freed Paul and Silas from the stocks that held him in jail. And the same God who met exiled elderly John who had been banished to the Isle of Patmos and gave him the book of Revelation and told him what's to come. That God is your God. You're not, 
I grew up in church, and I think I shared this with you before, but I had a Bible that had pictures in it. You know, they were drawn pictures of Bible heroes. That's how I survived church when I was a kid. I, and the sermon got boring, I looked at the pictures. I used to look at those pictures, and it was almost like those people had halos around their head. Listen to me. If you took the heroes of the Bible to the mall, got a modern-day clothes, they'd be just like you. It was their God that did those enormous things. That's why I love that verse where the Bible says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And for those of you who by faith will claim this verse, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good. Remember last week, shalom. They're plans for shalom and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. I wonder today, is there anybody here who can testify to that? I mean, you were in a scenario where you didn't see any way out. Or the doctors told you it wasn't going to be a good end. Or maybe financially, you didn't, you didn't think you were going to be able to survive. I Listen, I can testify. I've got stories in my life where I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. And I watched God exercise his plans and bring them to pass in my life. And so today, in the house of God, I'm not, I don't usually ask you to respond, but I'm going to ask you to do it today. If there is any child of God here, any daughter of God here, or any man of God here, and God has brought you out when you didn't see a way out, can you raise your hand and testify that he is a God who has plans and exercises those plans? No, no. And now the reason why I did that today, and like I said, I rarely ever ask you to respond physically. The reason I do that is you got some friends here today who need that because you got some friends who are here in that place right now and they're wondering if they're going to make it. I want them to see your testimony that our God is a God who can take the darkest day of our life and turn it into one of the greatest days of our life. We won't know it at the time, but five years later, we'll look back and say, I thought that was the end of me. I didn't realize it was the beginning because see, the Bible says... In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, and I love how the NIV translation has this, kind of like in three bites. In all things, God works for good. I mean, just own that today. If you're God's child and you want to do things God's way, you're not perfect. You still fail. You take two steps forward, one step back, but you want to go God's way. You want to trust God. Then you can claim in my life, in all things, it doesn't say all things are good, because a lot of things are bad, and they're things that people mean to hurt you. They, they, they're part, that's part of those all things. But in all things, God works. And when God works, he works for good. And so today, you may be going through a really difficult situation, but you can say, by the word of God, I trust that God is working in this bad situation for good, because it's part of those all things. Now, the Bible does say, and remember what I started the message, the last part of Romans 8, 28 says, if we love God and we're fitting into his plans, and I got to ask myself that question, do I want God to fit into my plans or do I want to fit into God's plans? God's plans are so much better. Now, that's wonderful. But in this last talk this morning, I need to ask you a very important question. You don't need to respond on this one, but you do need to answer it for yourself. If you're God's daughter, if you're God's son, or even if you want to be, like Austin said this morning, if it's something that you crave, you could be here today and say, Mark, I'm not sure exactly what I believe, but this, that promise is pretty powerful. I need to ask you an important question. What if God's best doesn't happen for you in this life? 
In other words, some of these awesome plans that God is working on on your behalf, what if, what if they're for the life to come? Now, somebody's going to say, I knew what you were going to do. You know, I, you, I came here, I wanted, to, I wanted to have help in this life, and now you've got this pie in the sky deal going. Well, wait a minute. Remember that God's plans down here, this is one of the most important things I'll ever teach you, but you know it already. Remember that God's best plans for you in this life still intersect a flawed, broken, painful world. In other words, whatever good things that God brings into your life, and he will bring them, they're still going to happen against the backdrop of a flawed, broken world. And let me, let me just, okay, I, I know that many of you are very young, but let me just ask you this question, because if you're, if you're over 40, you know this already very well. Do you ever have a fully perfect day? Isn't it true that no matter how many good things happen, there's like something in the day? And the reason for that is, is because God is working in your life and he's bringing good, but it's against the backdrop of, of a very painful world. I mean, even God's best for me in my life, and he's expressed many good things, there's still some people missing. You ever take that family photograph on a vacation, and you're all having a good time, and you're in a wonderful location, and, but you know, you kind of look at that picture a few years later, and you're like, oh, and I wish she could have been there. I wish she could have been there. I mean... I love this service today. I mean, it's been an awesome service already. I, I wish my mom and dad were here. Many of you knew them. And they're in heaven. I know they're having a good time. But I know how my dad loves godly music. And the songs that, he, that we did this morning, my dad would have been all over, like five ducks on one June bug. <laughs> I mean, this is old history here. But when this church was small and no one knew about us, but I was a young preacher that had great dreams for a great church and a great location. I have no idea why, but to me, the greatest pastor in American history just for some reason connected with me. He told one of his deacons about me when he said, that guy and me are like this. And I, I cherish that. Adrian Rogers. I mean, I, I always, you know, supposedly the Dallas Cowboys are America's team. I don't know about that, but I always called Adrian America's pastor. And he's been with the Lord since 2005. His sermon's still on television, but for some reason, Adrian Rogers was so good to me. I mean, he believed in me when I had a vision for a great church. And I gotta be honest with you. I mean, when we have great services here, I think, I wish Adrian could see this. You've heard me tell stories about my grandmother, my dad's mother. The Hoover family were a bunch of hell raisers before my grandmother. I mean, my grandfather was only known for two things. He was known for alcohol and anger issues. He was not a believer. He was not a believer until he was in middle life. My grandmother came from the most toxic family I can imagine. She wound up having, when she was like six years old, she had to raise her two younger siblings because her mother was the bitterest woman I ever met. I mean, and I have no, there was no faith in that family. How did my grandmother come to know Jesus? I don't know, but she fell in love with him. She got married when she was 16 years old, had nine kids. My dad was the oldest. And somehow, even against the backdrop of her husband resenting everything that she did that was spiritual, I mean, he would be angry at her when she would get the kids ready and leave for church. He would be angry and cuss the preacher when she came back. I don't know how she kept everything together. I don't know where she got the strength to do that. But I know she changed the trajectory of our family. Out of those nine kids, three are pastors. Three of her daughters sang in a Christian music group. One of her sons was a professor at a Christian university. 
I counted one time, I was in a, <laughs> I was in a boring service in South Texas, and I started thinking about all, all of her descendants who are in ministry. I counted 38 of us who are in ministry. She has three great-grandsons here. She has three great-grandsons who minister in this church that she's never met. And I hear Jonathan preaching sometime, and I think, I wish she could be here to hear him preach. Stephen, I hear him preaching. She would have loved to have listened to him preach. Austin led worship, and I think, oh, I wish she could have seen Austin. So all I'm saying to you is even God's best plans, isn't it true that some people are missing? And you'd love for them to be here. You'd love for them to experience God's best, but death comes along and, and takes them away. Or, <laughs> I don't want to go too far down this road, but even when you have God's perfect plans in your life, there's still some imperfect people that are around you when God's plans are materializing. You're like, okay, I love what God is doing in my life, but man, she drives me nuts. Here's the big one. God's perfect plans still happen in messy situations. And ultimately, unless Jesus comes for us, it's going to end badly. I mean, there's a lot of great things that God has done in my life, but I got to tell you, if Jesus doesn't come in time, I'm going to get sick or have an accident and I'm going to die. And so I just want to, the reason why I'm going down that negative road for just a few moments, I want us to ask the question, is it okay if God saves some of his best for the life to come. In fact, I want to go a step further. I mean, somebody could say, well, Mark, thank you for the message today. I'm still not interested in heaven. I want what I want now. Well, would you really want to have all of God's best now? I know this is a facetious thing, but suppose there's a guy here that's going to go for a one-week vacation in Hawaii. And he's like, you know, I want that week to be perfect. I want to see what it's like for one week to live with everything I want. And so he gets a VRBL that's $10,000 a night. And he like, he's like, I'm going to do anything I want to do. I'm going to ride anything I want to ride. I'm going to do every excursion I want to. I'm going to get some, I'm going to rent some of the works of the great masters and hang the art on the wall and look at all that. So he takes everything out of savings, borrows against his pension, borrows against his 401k, and is, he puts his entire life resources in one week for a vacation in Hawaii. And it'd be a great week when we'd want a vacation with him, right? The only thing is, at the end of that week, the owner of the VRBL is going to come to him and say, hey, it's time to check out. Give me the key. Now, like I say, that's facetious and nobody would do that, but a lot of Christ followers are living that way. It's sort of like, it's sort of like well, heaven is real cool. It's out there somewhere. I'm going to leave that to God. I want to drill down and do everything for this life today. But the problem with that is, if heaven is everything God says it is, it ought to be the backdrop of every decision that we make. Now, if you're 80, you get this message really easily, but if you're 20, you, probably, you might be saying, Mark doesn't have very much for me this morning. And not, not, to, not to be overly negative, but take it from a guy who stood by a thousand, over 1,000 caskets. In the 46 years I've been pastoring, I've stood well, well over 1,000 well over caskets. And I can tell you, caskets come for people of all ages. I remember this happened very early in my ministry. I may have been just barely 30. It's a long, I might not have even been 30 now that I think about it. Our old location. 
We've been praying about a couple to get serious about God. They never went to church, never had any interest for God. They were uh, the sister and brother-in-law of a lady in our church. And so she had asked me many times if I would pray for them. And I had tried to visit them, but to no avail. One day I got a call from the man of this couple. And he said, we would like to have you come to our house and talk to us. Well, I was excited. Because I thought, they never have showed any interest in God before. So I was really excited. Drove over to their house. And I had my Bible with me so that if they had any questions, I could answer them. But when I walked in, both of them glared at me. I mean, glared. And I did notice that when I drove to their house, they had this massive RV bus, which in those days, that was an unusual thing. It didn't look like it fit. The house was very ordinary. The RV looked like it was top of the line. Well, as they said, they glared at me, and so I wonder why they were mad at me since I barely even knew them. And the guy said to me, we are bitter and angry at God. And I said, why? He said, well, all our life, our goal was to work as hard as we could possibly work and retire early in our 50s and then get a big RV and go travel and enjoy life. And he said, we did it. We both retired. We bought this RV. And he said, we just found out that my wife not only has cancer, but she only has a short time to live. And they were angry at God. And I did my best to try to help them understand they were angry. They were as angry when I left. I don't know why they were angry at me. I guess I just was the closest thing to representing God. A few days later, I get a call from the chaplain at St. Joseph. And he said, I'm up here in the quiet room. Now that's code speak. What it basically means is someone has passed. We haven't told the family members yet. We're holding them in the quiet room until you get here. And he said, I'm here at the, in the quiet room with Mrs. So-and-so. And I tried to correct him, and I said, no, no. I knew she was dying. I said, no, you, you mean you're there with Mr. So-and-so, and she's passed away. He said, no, Pastor Hoover. I'm up here with Mrs. So-and-so. Her husband got on the treadmill this morning and fell over with a heart attack. A few weeks later, I had her service. I'm not trying to be negative today, but I'll tell you what. The last thing we need is one more preacher who blows sunshine at people and doesn't get them ready for the life to come. I'm thankful for the plans that God has for good in this life, and I've experienced the best, but are we okay if his best is reserved for the next life? Because for the next few moments, and I do mean few moments because I am watching the clock, every once in a while people say, Mark, you can go on today. Listen, we have a whole nother crowd coming in. And you know what it's like when you're leaving and another 2,000 people are coming in. So for a few moments, I want to just go to the Word of God. Because the one thing I'm well cognizant of, you don't drive as far as some of you drive to hear me give my ideas. You come to hear a word from God. So today, for a few moments, I just want to look at some scripture, and I feel like God gave me these scriptures for you. I wasn't sure the order to put them in, but I did the best that I could. But for a few moments, I want to talk to you about the plans that God has for you in the next life. Number one, let's start with these two words, eternal life, eternal life. Many of us who grew up in church, we've heard those words so much, I wonder if we really embrace them, eternal life. John 3, 16, for God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have, here we are, eternal life. Now notice the verb there. 
The Bible says we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. Notice that's not a future. That verb's not in the future tense. Here's what happens. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have eternal life at that moment. John 5, 24 is so clear on that. So you don't have to wait till you die to have it. You have it already. You have God's Holy Spirit. This, this is really beautiful. The Word of God says that at the moment you accept Jesus Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment or a deposit. Do you realize if you could be lost after you invited Jesus into your life, God would have to lose a third of the Trinity? He's not going to do that. If you're God's child, you have eternal life right now. In John 10, verse 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never die. No one can snatch them away from me. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment because you're, you're conscious right now. You're alert. You know what death is going to be like? Somebody's going to have to tell you that you died. That's fair. When you get to heaven, somebody's going to have to say, I hate to tell you this, but you just died. And they're down there, they're having your funeral service, and when it's all over, they're going to go someplace and eat potato salad. But I mean, <laughs> I'm like, well, is dying like fade to black? No, 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 it's like fade to light. Because you have eternal life. And eternal life means it's never going to end. There's never going to be anybody asking for the key and telling you it's checkout time. Number two, the Father's house. Now, I want to, I, many of you who know your Bible, you know eventually I'm going to John 14. I'll do that under number three. But right now, I want to go to the most famous chapter in the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm. Because when David is closing the 23rd Psalm, he says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He's talking about this world. And the word follow there means chase. Surely God's goodness, that's his plans for us in this life. His goodness and mercy will chase us all the days of this life. And then he said, and then... I will live in the house of the Lord, the home of the Lord, the Father's house forever. Well, what does that mean? Number three, John 14, verse two, there are many homes up where my father lives. I am going to prepare them for your coming. Now let's slow that down a little bit. Jesus said, I am going to prepare those places for your coming. Now, juxtapose that statement against Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And then factor in what Jesus just said. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I mean, for 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place. Isn't that awesome? And he said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you can always be with me. That's what's going on in heaven right now. I mean, Jesus is preparing a place. Well, what is that place going to be like? Because if, I, if there's anything that causes me to feel like someone just ran their fingernails across a chalkboard, it's this idea that heaven is kind of like this weird, fluffy, suspended reality. You know, and I, I try to be gracious because oftentimes people tell me this when a loved one has died, and I don't want to be disrespectful, so I hold back. But I got to tell you, nothing makes me more squeamish than hearing somebody say, Grandma's an angel now. No, she's not. Angels are angels. I mean, angels were never even given an opportunity to repent. Grandma's grandma. She's just not old anymore. I mean, grandma's awesome now. I mean, when, 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 when Jesus was on the earth and Moses and Elijah, Elijah met him, it wasn't like Peter said to John, hey, man, look, there's two angels there. wonder who they are. No, no, it was Moses and it was Elijah. Listen, you're still going to be you. 
So what is heaven going to be like? We're not going to float around on clouds like little angels, you know. Man, I got to tell you, I have ADD. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> that would bore me to no end. So what is heaven like? 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen. Well, I've seen some beautiful things. I mean, here's the deal. Haven't you seen some beautiful things in this world? I mean, after all, it's the same manufacturer. And this world is dealing with the curse of sin on it. But I mean, have you ever been to the Rocky Mountains? Have you ever been to the ocean? Have you ever been, you know, have, have, have you ever seen the sights of this world? Well, the same God who made those has been working on heaven. But the Bible says, no eye has seen. Whatever you've seen, what's the most beautiful thing that you've seen? The worst thing, if there was such a thing in heaven, would surpass it. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. Man, my ears heard some wonderful things. I've heard Beethoven's Ninth. I've heard the laughter of my children. I've heard my wife say, I love you. I've heard worship in New Spring. Man, I've heard some great things. But the Bible says, no ear has heard. <laughs> and this next one is the one that gets me because I have a very vivid imagination. My imagination runs 24 hours a day. People ask me, where do you come up with all these sermon series? I'm like, I can't shut them off. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So here's the thing. We, we can't even begin to imagine how awesome heaven is. And the reason why, and this is just drives me nuts. There's so many Christians who discount the eternal life and they bonus this life. Why do we do that? Because the word of God tells us the promise of God is like, nobody can imagine how awesome heaven is. I think when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to say is, thank you, Jesus. And after that, I think I'm going to say, wow, for about the first 1,200 years. Number five, something we don't hear very often. It isn't just that heaven is being prepared for you. You're being prepared for heaven. And I'm guessing there's some of you who have been followers of Jesus for a while and you're feeling this. You ever feel like you weren't built for this world? I mean, we were built to be, make a difference and change the world. I know that. But do you ever feel like this world is not what you were made for? I mean, just the weirdness and the upside downness of this world. It's like nothing here really satisfies. You're sort of like Noah's dove. You know, when Noah was wondering where the floodwaters had receded to, he released two birds. He, re he released a raven and he released a dove. Well, the raven found something to interest him. There was carrion floating out there on the water. So he found plenty of places to go. But the dove came right back because she didn't find anything she was interested in. Do you ever feel like Noah's dove? Well, you're right. There's one of the, I think it's the most underappreciated verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. The Bible says it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on a new body so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Now, that's verse 4. Here's verse 5. God himself has prepared us for this. Now, think about that. God, okay, this is so big, I you know, need the drum roll here. God built you for something. What did he build you for? Did he build you for Kansas? Not unless you get assigned here in the millennium. And that'll be just my, <laughs> start to say, just my luck. <laughs> you weren't built for this. You were built for what we just read. God built you for the life to come. Like the great intellect C.S. Lewis said, if I have yearnings that are not fulfilled in this world, then perhaps I was made for another world. 
I wonder, do you ever have the feeling that you're being prepared for another world? Let me ask you another question. You ever think about the fact that you have gifts and talents that aren't fully appreciated in this life? Could I ask that question one more time? Because this is really big. I don't think I've ever heard this in church. I mean, do you ever feel like that you've got gifts and interests and talents and you're sort of wondering, why do I have this inside of me? Well, I mean, it could be that later on down here, God's got a plan for that. But on the other hand, I want you to be open to something. Is it possible that God is like tuning your instrument up for the life to come? Because at the end of the day, when Jesus comes, we know from the scriptures, there's going to be a thousand year kingdom uh, before we go into the eternal state. And the Bible tells us that we're going to help the Lord in his administration. So who knows if those talents and abilities that you're finding honing up in your life, God's going to utilize them in the life to come. I think the psalmist felt that. There's a little, a little something in Psalm 71 that I really like. Now, there's no heading to Psalm 71, but I'm just convinced that David wrote it because it sounds like David, and it's whoever's writing this is elderly now. And he's talking about this life basically getting ready to end. And in verse 20, he said, you will lift me up from the depths of the earth. Now, that's a very literal thing where David is talking about resurrection. You will lift me up from the depths of the earth. Then I will praise you with music on the harp. And then he said, I'll sing praises to you. I love this. David said, Lord, when I get up there for you, I'm going to play the harp for you. I want to sing for you. And then, wouldn't that be wonderful to like serve Jesus, to take those talents that he's building up inside of us? I mean, David doesn't say, when I get there, I'm going to be king again. He understands that one of his descendants, Jesus Christ, is going to be king. David's like, I'm a musician. I don't need to be king. I just want to play the harp for you when I get up there. And there's so much more, and I need to end the message now. If you want to read more about heaven, read Revelation 21 and 22. It is time to close the message. But I want to give you one more scripture. Because I really do believe we are so close to the coming of the Lord. All of the signs are pointing to Jesus' return. I think I said this to you the other day, but I'll say it again. The signs of Jesus' return are just so quick right now. I mean, it's like I can't even keep up with it anymore. When I was a kid, there were signs of Jesus coming, Israel becoming a nation again, I mean, on and on. You're, I, don't know if, I don't know if you guys did this, but when I was a kid, I used to buy firecrackers and be this long line of firecrackers and all the fuses would be all time, you know, intertwined. So I would like undo one and then light it and throw it. But then you get to the end of the day and you still have this long line of firecrackers. You ever just light the whole thing and just listen to it, pop, 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 pop. That's how the signs of Jesus' return are going right now. And so the last thing I want to say to you before I close is you need to stay where you can hear the intercom. I was flying home the other night. Do you remember there were like several weeks where like thousands of flights were being canceled? And I got stuck a few times. But I remember I was on, a, I think it was, was one of the flights home, flight to Wichita, and we were getting ready to board and the flight, uh, the person, the gate attendant said, there's a problem with the aircraft, and we don't know whether it'll take 10 minutes to repair or it'll take three hours to repair. So we don't know. We just know this. There are no other flights today. So if this flight makes, you need to stay where you can hear the intercom because we don't have any idea when this is going to be repaired. And I got to tell you, I stayed very close to where I could hear because I need to get home. we got a flight coming up. 
Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, we tell you this directly from the Lord, we who are still living, when the Lord returns, that could be us, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. Somebody say, gotcha, Mark. Because you said we always live, but you just said a few moments ago, or read, that God's going to bring our loved ones, raise them up from the earth. But if you look at the verse right before, the verse where I started reading, the Bible says that God will bring them with him. Same author, same paragraph. You can't bring something unless it's with you. So what happens is when you die, your soul and spirit go to be with God. The real person, the part of you that is you, the part of you that's alert, that's cognitive, that chooses, that part of you goes to be with God. Body, whatever's left of it, is in the ground. But molecules never go away, and so God will know how to reconstruct that new body from those molecules. And then, and somebody's like, well, how would that happen? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's in the twinkling of an eye. That's the involuntary flinch of the eye. When I was a kid, General Electric time, they said it was 126th of a second. And then later on, they said it's 148th of a second. And then ultimately, they said it's 1 1,000th of a second. But who's counting? Do you realize what happens when Jesus comes? Bang, you're here, you're there. That's what it's going to be like. I used to think when I was a kid, I, I'd struggle with faith a little bit. And I used to think, well, I'm not sure it's really true, but if Jesus is coming, then I'm going to see him and I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Bang, you're here, you're there. Are you ready? I just think. I think for at least once in our lives, we need to be in a service, whether you're watching online or on television or you're here in one of our auditoriums. I think you owe it to yourself to ask yourself the question, am I ready? If my flight's called, do I go? Because heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. The other night I was flying home and I got to my gate and I looked across and there was a flight to Houston and the gate was empty, but the monitor just said, flight departed. And I thought, someday that's gonna be true of you and me. Flight will be departed. Are you ready? You say, Mark, I'm, I'm a nice person. That won't make you ready. You say, Mark, I'm Baptist. That won't make you ready. Might set you back. I can say that I grew up Baptist. You say, I'm Catholic. I won't get you there. I'm Pentecostal. I'm spiritual. That's the statement du jour. Hey, none of those have any equity in heaven. Zero. There's only one thing that will make you ready, and that is if you will come as a flawed, broken sinner and turn from your sin and you will come to Jesus Christ by faith and say, Lord, I don't have any hope outside of you. And I believe you died for my sins and paid for every sin I've ever committed. And I believe you arose from the grave. And because you're alive, I turn from my old life and I believe in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And when that happens, your sins are washed away. Your name is written in the census book of heaven. And when the flight's called, <laughs> You're going to defy gravity. 
You're going to defy just about every principle that we know about. And then the best will really be yet to come. I don't want to leave this service, and I know I'm well into overtime today, and you'll get into that traffic jam I was talking about. But it's so important. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to be ready. That's how we sang a few moments ago. I want to be ready. You can be. You can leave and know it. You say, Mark, I'm not sure. Well, I wouldn't leave and not be sure. I have a flight tomorrow. I got to have my passport. I'll check and make sure I have it. Because I want to be ready for a flight out of the country. Are you ready for, are you ready for the real flight? If you're not sure, I'm going to ask all of you, wherever you are, just to bow your head with me and pray. You say, I know I'm ready, then pray for somebody else around you. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to, you can pray it with me. You don't have to pray it out loud, but I'm going to say it slowly, and you can decide if you want to pray. Dear God, I am a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I'm flawed and broken, and I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I claim him as my Savior and my King. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that from your heart, God heard you. Now, before you leave, I have a gift I want to give you. Now, if you're watching online or on television, all you have to do is text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. There's a New Spring Bible, and there's also a little book I wrote that'll answer a whole lot of questions called My New Walk with God. Now, if you're on either South or North Auditorium, you don't have to wait. All you got to do is text PRAY to 97,000. Go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and you can carry this out with you today. And if you don't have your phone with you, just go back and say, I pray with Mark, and that will work. God bless you. Thank you. See you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.